series through the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible nearby uh, or with you, you can um, turn to Acts chapter 2. There should be red ones nearby if you would like to use that one. If you are going to use the red Bible, uh, Acts 2 is on page 530. One of my favorite movies of all time is Apollo 13. I loved it as a kid. I love it even today. Even when I rewatch it, I still get goosebumps and even cry. It's beautifully shot, well-written. The music is wonderful. And it's this great story. It's a real story uh, about this seemingly impossible mission, not only to go to the moon, which by itself is just ridiculous, but with Apollo 13, it becomes a rescue mission. This seemingly impossible rescue mission to return these astronauts home safely. And in 1962, when President Kennedy actually talked about the space race, in this now famous speech, he says, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and to do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Now, I think the word hard is an understatement. To go to the moon is a seemingly impossible mission. And in this story of Apollo 13, that impossible mission becomes so much worse because a, uh, a, a, an oxygen canister explodes just hours, days into the mission. And oxygen, precious oxygen, is seeping into the vacuum of space. And so down here in, in Houston, the, 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 the command team pulls together the, the top astrophysicists and engineers and rocket scientists to come together and say, how can we get these kids home? How can we get these guys back home safely? Not only do they have to figure out how to get a, a square peg into a round hole, they have to figure out how can they have enough energy to get this rocket home. They have to slingshot around the moon and come back safely. This was an impossible mission, or so it seemed, because they were able to do it, thankfully. It was nearly impossible because they took the brightest people in the world and they put them together and they came up with a plan. But here in Acts 2, we see the official launch of the church, the birth of this movement. We've been talking about the birth of this church and the mission that Jesus has sent this church on to take the gospel message to the ends of the world. And it was an impossible mission. Not seemingly impossible. It was impossible to do by themselves. And that's why Jesus says, wait here, because you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will empower you to fulfill this mission. Friends, the Holy Spirit is indispensable for our lives as Christians. Without the spirit of truth, we would have no knowledge of God's love for us. Without the unity that we have in the spirit, there would be no fellowship with one another. Without the spirit of Christ within us, we could not be conformed to the image of Christ. And without this promised spirit, we could not go out on mission. The Holy Spirit is indispensable for the mission in front of us, not just as a church worldwide, but here at Story Church too. We will not be able to do what we feel God has called us to do 
to invite neighbors into a new story shaped by Jesus unless we rely on the Spirit. In our passage this morning, we're going to see when the Spirit comes, what does it do? What does it enable the people to do? What does it do in the lives of the first disciples that empowers them for the mission? And so in our passage, if you're going to take notes, this is where we're headed. We see that the Holy Spirit does three things. One, the Holy Spirit provides a power from outside. Two, the Holy Spirit comes to us as a presence within. And finally, three, the Holy Spirit reminds us of a person on the mountain. I'll get to that last one in a little bit, but let's, let's begin. We're going to start first. The Holy Spirit provides us with a power from outside. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages, tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, and they said, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I shall show wonders of the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask through your spirit now that you would illumine your word for our lives so that we could know why we need your spirit to fill us and empower us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, we see that the Holy Spirit comes and provides for us a power from outside. Look with me at verse 2 and 3. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We begin with the disciples all around, uh, 120 of them. They're, they're hanging out together, praying and waiting for the Spirit. And then all of a sudden, this sound rushes in. Like, like mighty winds come in and there's shaking and rocking and tremendous fear falls upon all of them. And the tongues of fire, fire descends from heaven and rests upon each one of them. And the Holy Spirit is now here. What an awesome sight to behold. It would have brought tremendous awe and even fear on them. Remember, this is Jesus who has ascended into the heavens, who is now sending his spirit down upon them so that he could be with them. And it's so important for us to see here that this power comes from above. It comes from outside of them and comes down to them. It is so important that we see that the Holy Spirit gives us a power that comes from outside of ourselves. Here's why. So often today, we love to look outside of ourselves and put the blame on the world's problems on other things and other people. When we first moved to Mayfield Heights, one of the first things we did was we joined the neighborhood Facebook group. I'm sure you have one maybe for your neighborhood or your city. And uh, it didn't take long, and I'm sure you're, you know this, uh, that those places just become this hotbed of complaints. I mean, whether it's the, the mayor isn't doing his job or the city council has made the wrong decision or the superintendent or the principal's messing up or, you know, so-and-so neighbor isn't cutting their grass short enough or, hey, so-and-so's kids were out at the park and they were causing ruckus. It's so easy for us to log on to those websites and just click away complaining and complaining about people out there. But it's not just petty things like that too. You know, think about marriage, if you are married. So often we accuse or point our finger at our spouse and say, what is wrong with our marriage right now is he or she is not doing what he or she needs to do. And if only they would do this, then our marriage would be better. Or when you look at your bank account, you, you tend to think, man, if only I had a better job, I made more money, and my life would be better, we'd be more stable, I'd be less anxious. We love to look at people and circumstances outside of ourselves and say, that's what's wrong. But paired with that is this sense that what's the solution comes from within. There's two ways in which we think about the solution that comes from within. We either say, work harder, pull yourself up, get out there, you can do it. You can overcome that challenge. You just got to work harder. And the other one, less clear, but maybe even more pervasive, is this idea that you got to, it's, it's within you. You just got to have more faith to bear through it. You just got to believe that, that it's going to end one day and that you'll overcome. You just got to have faith, believe, just, ah, it's within you. 
I think this idea has become popular in light of a book that was published in the 2000s that became pretty popular called The Secret. And in the book, The Secret, it was this idea that through positive thinking, by bringing together more and more positive energy, that you could affect the circumstances around you. Even this week, I looked at their website, and it actually said this. It said, uh, it said if you, no, it said, The Secret to having more money is believing that you are already wealthy. The secret to having more money is believing that you are already wealthy. We love to cast the problem as something outside of ourselves and believe that if only we could work harder or believe more, that we'd overcome it. That is not good news. Sooner or later, your strength will fail you and you can't work harder. Your will will give up and you just can't believe anymore. Consider what message that sends to someone who is suffering through depression. Like real biochemical imbalances in their life. How in the world is this good news for them? The first step that we need to understand is that the problem is not primarily outside, but the problem is within. And the solution therefore, can't come from within. It has to come from outside of ourselves. My wife and I went through uh, this great class called Re-Engage. It's a marriage class to strengthen our marriage. And on the first day that they teach us, they say, every one of us has to imagine that there is a hula hoop around yourself, and you're standing in the hula hoop. And as you try to build your marriage with your spouse, you always have to stay in your hula hoop. And it was this idea that, yeah, there might be problems in your spouse's life, but that's their problems to fix, not yours. All you can do is fix what's going on inside of your own heart. The problem isn't them. The problem is you. What's going on in your own heart? Back in the 1900s, the London Times uh, was doing an article, a, a piece on what is wrong with the world today. And they sent out correspondence to prominent authors and, and, and leaders of the world saying, write back to us, send in an essay. What is your answer to what is wrong with the world today? And Christian author and theologian G.K. Chesterton replied with a one-sentence essay. All he said was this, dear sir, I am. That is the first step towards understanding how the spirit empowers us on this mission is to recognize that we need a power that comes from outside of ourselves because what is so wrong about the world is that we are the problem. We can't fix ourselves. We need good news. We need a power that comes from outside of ourselves. And that leads me to my second point, because not only does the Spirit come as that power, but here's what it does. It comes to us as a presence within, and this is the good news. It comes to us as a presence within. And when it comes into our hearts, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he does three things. First is he revives us. The word for spirit here in this passage is the word pneuma. 
And that word pneuma, it, it means spirit or breath or wind. And its Hebrew equivalent, ruach, means the same thing. So all over the Bible, ruach or pneuma means spirit, wind, breath. That's why Luke can say that the Spirit came in like a sound of rushing wind. Or John can say, we don't know where the Spirit goes or comes from, but we feel it like a wind that passes over us. The best place in the Bible that we see this coming together is back in creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, when there is nothing that has been created, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And after creation... At the very end, when man and woman is created, what sets us apart from the rest of all of creation is this. God breathed his life into us. He breathed his spirit into us and gave us life. And so when we look at Acts 2, that this rushing wind comes and the spirit falls and it fills the disciples, what we are seeing is that the spirit is bringing revival. It is a new creation. It is a recreation. There is something brand new happening. The spirit has come and it has brought new life to our hearts. This is how Paul can write in Ephesians 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead because of our sin and our rebellion. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ. It is by the Spirit of God that comes into our lives that brings revival. It brings us to new life. But not only does the Spirit come into our lives and give us revival, it also comes in and gives us assurance. It gives us assurance because although it's true we have been made new, let's be honest that our experience of the Christian life is not always perfect. And we sin and we mess up. And because of guilt and shame or fear and anxiety, there are legitimate times in which we are worried. Does God still love me? You know, we ask, does God's love have an end to it? Have I gone too far? But when the Spirit comes, it gives us assurance of his love. Look with me at verse 17. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my Spirit on all flesh. Peter is standing up in the midst of the confusion and the chaos, and he's trying to explain what is happening. And he pulls this passage from the book of Joel and says, what is going on was foretold to us from the book of Joel. And in that book, Joel said that one day God was going to pour out his spirit on all people. The old and the young, male and female, prominent and lowly status, everyone in Christ, will receive the Spirit. Here's why that is so good news. Look, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to know who God was, you had to go to a prophet, a priest, or a king. These were the select individuals in the Old Testament who had the Spirit of God fall upon them and raise them up with this knowledge of God's love. And they were charged with the duty of sharing that love with the people of God. 
But Joel says there is coming a day where everyone will be filled with the Spirit and the knowledge of God's love. No longer will we have to go to the prophet or go to the priest or go to the king to know God's love for ourselves. The Spirit of God will fill us and we will all know of his love for us. That never-ending, never-giving-up, covenant-faithful love. That is ours because the Spirit comes within us and he reminds us and teaches us of the assurance that we have through Christ. Finally, the Spirit, when it comes to us, when he comes to us, not only does he bring revival, not only does he bring us assurance, he brings us courage. Look at what the disciples do as they are filled with the Spirit. In verse 11, the the people around them say both Jews and proselytes, that's Jewish converts, Cretans and Arabians, we are hearing them tell in our own tongues the mighty works of God. When the Spirit fills our lives, it produces a courage. It produces a boldness to proclaim the mighty works of God just as the disciples were doing here. But what's so fascinating about this episode, this unique moment in the history of the church, is that there are people representing almost every nation on the face of the earth at that time hearing the mighty works of God. What is happening here is exactly what Jesus said would happen. You will be filled with the Spirit and you will bear witness to who I am to the whole world. And so here, starting in Jerusalem, they're proclaiming the mighty works of God. And people are believing At the end of the sermon, 3,000 lives begin to follow Jesus. Then a couple chapters later, people are hearing the message in all over Judea. They're hearing the gospel and believing, and the Spirit comes and fills them. And then a couple chapters later, they go to Samaria, where there are half Jews, half Jews. And they hear the gospel, and they believe. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God falls on someone who is not a pure Jew, And everyone celebrates. And then just chapters later, the gospel goes out to God-fearing Gentiles who want to worship Yahweh. And they hear the gospel. They're filled with the Spirit. And they follow Jesus. And then we get to pagan non-Jews all over the world. And it's like chaos erupts. And now people are coming to know Jesus all over the world. Friends, you and I are here today because Jesus kept his promise. These men and women had courage and they took the gospel to the ends of the world. We are inheritors of that message. We are inheritors of that mission. We have a mission here, and I know I've been emphasizing this lately, of our need to share the gospel with our neighbors. And I know how hard that can be. I know how awkward that can be. Like, I I have tried and failed. I've stumbled over my own words. I've been rejected. I know that it's hard. But when the Spirit of God falls on us, He gives us courage. Let's pray for courage. Let's pray that God would nudge us. That we wouldn't hide behind fear, 
or intimidation or awkwardness. Let's pray for courage with the knowledge that God wants to give us courage through his spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes into our lives. He revives us, gives us new life. He assures us of God's unending love, and he gives us courage to go on mission. Now, I could end the sermon there, and you would leave hearing me say, we've got a problem, and what you got to do is work harder. You just got to believe And that would be contrary to everything I've said. We need a power that comes from outside of ourselves to bury its way into our heart, to give us new life. And that's why the Holy Spirit also reminds us of the person on the mountain. What does that mean? The person on the mountain. Well, let me show you. Pentecost. Like growing up, I thought Pentecost was a Christian holiday. It's when the Spirit came. Actually, Pentecost was a holiday celebrated before there were Christians. Pentecost means 50th, and it's the 50th day after the Passover. And it celebrated when God's people were led out of Egypt and were brought to Mount Sinai. And there, Moses went up on the mountain and met with God. It is Pentecost where they celebrate that the people of God stood before the mountain that began to tremble and shake when God's presence fell down. And there was a cloud of smoke and there was thunder and lightning and there was fiery torches and there was a rushing sound like a wind or a trumpet blast. And everyone was filled with awe that God would come down on the mountain. And Moses went up and met with God. Moses went up the mountain and brought back to the people the law. The Ten Commandments, the two stones written by the hand of God himself that said, this is who I am. This is how you are supposed to live. And this was such a good thing. The law was given to God's people so that they would know who he is, so that they would delight in his will, and that they would learn to walk in his ways. The law was given that they might have life. But that's not how the story goes. When the law came, there came knowledge of sin. Look, Paul in the New Testament said, I didn't even know what thou shalt not covet meant until God's law came and said, thou shalt not covet. The law which was given for life only brought death because it exposed our sinfulness. It exposed our need for a savior. It only brought condemnation, not because the law did, but because we were weak and could not follow the law. But Pentecost points us to another person on the mountain. Moses went up the first mountain and brought down the law, but we needed something more than that. We need something more than that, something that will change our hearts, something that will empower us from within so that we could delight in his will and walk in his ways. 
Jesus Christ is that person on the mountain. He has ascended to the place of heaven, now with God the Father. And from the presence of God, he sends his spirit down upon us. And that spirit now writes the law on our hearts, revives our dead hearts, gives us a new life. This is exactly what we need. We need the power from outside that fills us. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, although I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will now make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth has come through Jesus, and that is ours through the Spirit. He has written the law of God on our hearts. He has brought us revival. He has equipped us with courage so that we can go on mission, so that we can bring him glory and honor so that we can bear witness to the truth in the lives of our neighbors, so that through our words and our actions, God may be glorified. That is what we are about at Story Church. That is the mission God has called us to, to bear witness to our neighbors, inviting them in so that they may see what this story of Jesus is about, how they can have a revived heart, how they can be strengthened with the assurance of God's love for them so that they can have courage to go throughout this world bearing witness of the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, that you looked upon us in our weakness and said, I will send a helper and he will give you strength. We thank you for the spirit of Christ that fills our hearts, that gives us new life and sets us on mission, Lord. And above all, we thank you for this new covenant, this new pledge of your love to us, that now your spirit has written your law on our hearts, changed our lives, so that may we, we may do your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every